Hey, this is your Aunties Could Never, a podcast where you get to hear from your favourite aunties who have all the real talk with our thoughts on what's going on in the world. We'll be reminiscing about what it was like back in our day, and most importantly, we'll be helping you sort out your daily dilemmas with advice only your coolest auntie will give. I'm Auntie AK, and I'm here with... Auntie Farah. Auntie Nana. Auntie Sade. And Auntie Sarita. So ladies, my darling aunties, what have you heard in this week's mad, crazy world? My news is taken from the Daily Fail, and it represents all the different scenarios that are in this corona pandemic. Do this, but don't do this, but do this, but don't do this. Basically, they have said, more evidence that smoking may cut the risk of coronavirus. Review of 28 studies show number of smokers among hospitalised patients is lower than expected. As experts admit that the mounting findings are weird. Wow. My question to you is, should we all start smoking? Are you going to listen to this? Are you not going to listen to this? Are you just going to take it with a pinch of salt and continue to do what you're doing? We have health studies every half an hour about that have conflicting information and results. And it's just, who do they speak to? How are they assessing it? How many numbers are they gauging against? So for all the people that quit smoking, because there was this high risk thing of if you have like, um, reduced lung capacity, you're more at risk. Now it's like, oh, I can go get cigarettes. Also, you don't know if any kind of cigarette company, because now you can't trust the so-called leaders or the people in charge because they could be endorsed by certain companies and being paid to talk and say things. So you just don't know. I just think you just use common sense. If I was a smoker, I might try and reduce my smoking intake. But if I'm a smoker, I'm a smoker, I'm a smoker, whatever. If I don't smoke, I'm definitely not going to take up cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some people out there that will do though. <laughs> of course Just like don't. the people that drank right. disinfectant. Exactly. <laughs> So off of the back of that, just thinking of Donald Trump and his address alluding to wanting the medics to test on humans to put in disinfectant or some type of light therapy that would be done on the inside instead of outside. And then people actually drinking bleach and thinking somehow that would cure them. What I got from him saying that, I really thought it was a direct message to people not to get the vaccine because vaccines contain disinfectants. I yeah. felt like it was like a bat signal to people because it sounded so ludicrous. It really felt like he was saying like, you all see this as really ludicrous. Think about this when you're queuing up to get your vaccine. I, <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> first of all, when I first heard them, someone told me and I was just like, no, he didn't say that. Because it's just so wild. I didn't believe that someone who, you know, leads the free world could say something like so dangerous when he knows he has diehard fans. They take action with what he says, but maybe it just does show where his mental state is at the end of the day. It's just... I mean, he's a known germaphobe as well. So maybe that's what he wishes he could do. I'm still trying to get my head around that this man got up on a podium and said, inject disinfectant into your body and use light to get rid of a disease through your body. And no one has taken him out of office yet. Sorry. I'm still in shock. It's not shock. It's just like, oh, come on. When is this film going to end? When are we going to come out of the Matrix? When is it all going to be revealed? When's the curtain going to drop? The sheer audacity of his conference 
apology, not apology even, he dare not apologize because his ego is too big for that. But the fact that he tried to say it was sarcasm and we're all dumb, we didn't get it. I mean, even if it was sarcasm, then you need to go and get comedy training and satire <laughs> training. Because right. if you're going to, there's ways of saying this is sarcastic. There's a tone to sarcasm. Everyone knows there's a tone to sarcasm. We have Ricky Gervais, who's brilliant at sarcasm. We have Seinfeld. We have great comedic examples of satirists and people who can drop sarcastic, witty one-liners. So if that be the case, do better. And the bat signal thing I didn't pick up on because if you picked up on that bat signal, then you're operating on Tiger King levels. And <laughs> hearing Trump's levels in that way, that means you have some other connective to some other world that we don't have access to. You're probably a dark webber or something like that. I don't know. I'm really not sure about the bat signal, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was an alternative message to what you were saying. Whatever the case is, I think it was missed. And then the other thing is someone said, well, have you ever stopped to think, has he got um, shares in these disinfectant brands? <laughs> Probably not. Everyone's been posting all the different brands of disinfectants and bleaches, and inadvertently, their sales have gone up. So, you know, Trump, if he's got stocks in that, that's where the little freaking sly, sneaky behaviour let's drop this in and then let's see if we can get some cells or some of my disinfectant shares. Lysol came out and said, do not do this. We are not <laughs> recommending this. <laughs> Firstly, also, he wasn't being sarcastic. He was being for real because the doctor that was on the yes. press conference with him looked at him like, shut the fuck up. What are you saying? And all the journalists were like, so let me just get this straight. Are you trying to say that we should do this? And he was like, well, you know, you know, we're trying all these different tests. Why not try this one? He was serious. There wasn't no back signal. The only back was that he was batshit crazy. That's about it. You've got to remember, this is a money man. If there's a vaccine, know that he's got money in it. He wants people to take it because he's probably going to get shares in the vaccine. I'm actually convinced now that he's probably had a conversation with Kanye and Kanye basically Bam! told him <laughs> the last time Kanye was at the White House, he was talking about, oh, there's different dimensions to the world. So now so what I'm saying Stop making fun of the sick. They're not sick. <laughs> Kanye West has bipolar. I think, him. I think whatever Kanye West is smoking, so is Donald Trump, mate. I'm sorry. He was deadly serious. And I think he really wishes that he could try it. So for context, Donald Trump, before he was the president and everything. So when he was called Donald Trump and everybody liked him at one point, he has been like a proper anti-vaxxer. Like none of his kids have got, had a vaccine. Like he is really against it. Bill Gates and Donald Trump actually are like from two opposing elites. So they don't get on. And the vaccine comes through Bill Gates. He's the one that is really pushing for this world vaccine. So it wouldn't be ludicrous that Donald Trump is using this moment to actually really get people to think about what's in a vaccine. It sounds utterly ridiculous when he's up there saying, why don't we try to use this disinfectant that on a surface, kills corona in a minute why don't we try and put it inside people is not too dissimilar to the methods that they're trying to do with a vaccine it's just not that far-fetched when you see the list of ingredients that they're proposing for the vaccine it's actually like you know what i think donald on this one i could see that actually maybe this dude isn't as crazy as we think and maybe 
he is a bit more on the side of the people. Just maybe. I'm not saying he is, but just maybe we should listen to him. I hear what you're saying, but in this delivery, the back signal didn't work because <laughs> that was too levels like you know when poetry is so deep you're like okay i can't even see that because you lot went the stars and the moon and the beats of the drum and i'm talking about flowers so love i miss what you're trying to say nothing in what he delivered made me even think about him being an anti-vaxxer and because he's trump he could actually say i question what's in these vaccines he could say it he didn't no, need to can't. this will be lost on any anti-vaxxer there were no clear signals to me unless you're really sitting there thinking outside the box. And the average person that's following Trump isn't that level. You just need it black and white. I just don't think that particular moment was the one to trigger people to think about vaccines because it didn't make me think about what's inside a vaccine. I'm already thinking about what's inside a vaccine without having him saying that weird thing. That just made it sound like people, let's try disinfectant. I don't think he's as dumb as we think. I think some of it's a bit of a game and he's, he's using it to manipulate his numbers and his business and stuff like that. The people that he wants to be for, he is for. So I think that in itself is not a lie. When we should listen to him, I think he can say some things that a regular average Joe person could pick up on. However, he does not give a damn about me in this sense. So it's just, you've got to pick through what he says, like anybody, sometimes like a clock is right half one today or whatever the thing the saying <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, basically. That's the logic of a five-year-old. If you read a bottle um, of disinfectant and it says, this kills corona, oh, let me inject it because it kills you corona. Like, no, do you know what I mean? Like, that shows his mental level. I'm not buying it. He would, there was no secret code. He was just talking out of his bum. If he was really concerned about vaccines and against those things, like, why wouldn't he say it? He said so much before. He's always been bold with his opinions. He tweets them on a friggin' daily. So if, if that's what he felt, then he would, I think he would have said it plainly. He's quite yeah. plain in his language and he would have just said it. Honestly, I don't think he's for anyone but his damn self. He just needs to go as soon as possible so we can all the world can get over corona because i think he is making it longer especially in the states <laughs> too many maybes he told people to drink bleach because he doesn't know what he's going about that's it <laughs> and someone died for real someone drank it and died in america oh. someone died people drink bleach to kill themselves all the time fair enough but mm. On this level of earth and the humans that we encounter on a daily basis of the billions of people on this earth, you know, somebody saw what Trump said and did it. And that's it. Um, so, right. This week has been, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this listeners, but this is the beginning of the week for us. And uh, it's already been very, very eventful on social media. What's been happening is a lot of old tweets are coming to surface. So people from about maybe, what are we talking about, 2012, 2013, 14, um, of like some of the I would say influential people in the black community in the UK, their tweets have come to surface. You know, what happens with old tweets, they're not very uh, PC. They're not very on brand for their current positions, let's say that. And um, they seem to have a common theme, which is saying negative things about black women. And they're coming from people who you wouldn't think about. Um, so people like Nella Rose, who's a huge influencer here in the UK. Some people you would probably think they would say things like this, to be honest, like Tion Wayne. I think even Kelechi got caught up in the mix and saying things about Somalians. The people on the list were Ivorian Doll as well, Young Philly, yes. Chunks, um, Heady One, and there's a guy yeah. who deleted his Twitter feed instantly. Hagee Cakes as well. Hagee Cakey. Um, 
but basically people are just saying wild stuff now i can't remember who exactly said what but things like oh your mum's an ape um nella rose in particular was saying like why do black girls wear certain makeup so like blusher or pink lipstick why are they so loud saying things like white women wear weave but black girls abuse it black girls are doing the most with eyelashes that sort of thing so you can get the sentiment yeah it's very very hateful i think like even people like for me from eastenders she played mercy in eastenders and she was writing some stuff about it saying that when she was in eastenders people like a dot the presenter on bbc one extra were tweeting things like oh you know when she comes on the screen she throws bananas at the screen shocking shocking stuff and she was saying how hurtful it was for her having this role and breaking out as a young actress and just having all this hate just because of the color of her skin i guess my question is what should be the consequence of this how do we protect black women especially young black women when the abuse is coming from our own community get he's alive he was on live earlier today talking about the solution and it was more directed about the old tweets and stuff but obviously to get has recently done a tune about dark-skinned girls and celebrating uplifting them for the sake of his daughter and that was the thing there's no consequence when it comes to black insults globally if you say the n-word to the point where they cannot disprove that it was racially charged then you'll get in trouble but general consensus there's no power we spoke about this not a big enough power structure that we have to influence enough change when certain things happen towards black people and especially as you go down the chain black women being at the bottom of it dark skin women being at the bottom bottom of it um i don't know what the solution is because my daughter went nuts yesterday because she is a huge nella rose fan i've met nella rose she's so sweet because of my daughter i watch her videos she's amazingly talented so seeing my daughter as well being disappointed in that and Obviously, we're old enough to not be invested in celebrities because especially being a black woman and a dark-skinned woman, from listening to hip-hop, I know not to expect any kind of love from most of the rappers that I follow, that I admire, that I'm into. I've grown to not put celebrities on a pedestal. However, especially when you're young, you can't help but like people and you can't help to fall into their, the trap of what they're doing, what they're selling, what they're saying, and they become an inspiration to you. And someone like Nella Rose especially, my daughter's like, oh my gosh, and she's like, because one of her friends actually called her and was crying because she said, like, why are we so disliked? Her friend is also dark-skinned, and she's like, not just based on Nena Rose, it's based on all the young influence, the main influence of today that they all spend their time watching to be on YouTube and stuff like that. Why are we so hated and disliked and put down upon? So I, I, at this point, I don't know what the solution is. We have so much unpacking to do in our community when it comes to shadism and how we treat other types of blacks, like Somalis are also getting the brunt of these jokes and stuff and negativity, especially when you're growing a child, especially a dark-skinned girl child. It's heartbreaking at times and really emotionally draining. I don't know nothing about this Nella Rose people. I don't follow these guys. But um, I was speaking briefly with my niece about this yesterday and Nella Rose apparently was 12 years old when she tweeted what she tweeted. She done a video about it. In the video, she talks about from being 14. That's what she said herself. You're not supposed to be on Twitter at 12 anyway, because the age limit's 13, but anyway, she could have been. Okay, so she was 14, okay? Now, it's interesting that you talked about, Aquara, how difficult it is growing up as a black person and listening to the rappers say what they've got to say and all that. Maybe she was going through a period of self-hatred because she saw that around her. At 14, you're going through a very difficult period in your life. 
your body changing and your hormones changing and people looking at you or not looking at you or acting a certain way. Maybe she was going through something like that herself and didn't know how to express it. I'm saying a lot of maybes here. At 14, you're not grown. So we do have to take that into account. All these other people that are adults saying this shit, I don't know how we change that. This is one of the most frustrating things for me, you know, this whole shadism thing, because what people fail to realise is where it's come from. This is something that's been forced on us through centuries as a way of controlling us and dividing us. And it's sickening that it's still happening today. I don't know how we change it other than teaching our children that that's not the way and hoping that things change through them. From what I read, and I think this is the same person, is the tweet being discussed, why do people want to be black? That's, I would prefer to be white. That's the tweet. No, that's a different one. So there's that's multiple. There's multiple from multiple people, okay. yeah, but that's another young influencer. Because that girl's one, and she was like, I'm waking up to so many people coming at me. I'm sorry if I've offended anybody. But I was like, how are we not extending compassion to her? Because that to me is somebody screaming out for a bit of love. She needs to be embraced. But I feel that is the problem across the board. Even with the guys saying some outrageous things about black women, dark-skinned women, you know they have an auntie, a mother, they have sisters who are dark as well. More than taking it on personally, myself, because I absolutely remember going through the whole of secondary school and both of my best friends were mixed race and always being overlooked. I was always like, it was more on the guys. I had more compassion for them. Like, I understand why you want to escape your blackness. And that was from a very young age, really understanding that. Then directing some type of, you must do better. I think it needs to be countered with real compassion and love for what they're trying to run away from and turning their back on. They want to feel love from outside as well. It can be enforced by the black community, but it is stamped on by people in authority. You know, it's just going to be a lot easier for you to navigate through life the lighter you associate with. It's all a part of white supremacy. I feel more compassion to anybody that falls victim to it than an attack on them. I absolutely understand why you're going down this road because you just want to survive. And we all do. But in you surviving, you are turning against yourself. But I understand from a young person's point of view when you're having to navigate through it and it is a bit like, why is everybody against me because I didn't ask to be born this shade? It's more like you have to be empowering yourself to see the beauty in yourself than looking for validation outside because you're just not going to get it. Yeah, I wasn't coming for Nella because like I said, she's a brilliant and talented young lady. I've been a fan indirectly through my child. I hadn't offered a solution, so I wasn't saying come for her. I think in context, all these young influencers are exactly as you said, they're a victim of the supremacy that we live under. And it is about how we're raised at home because we all know in our families and at home. So mm -hmm. we've got parents, seniors who we respect who will make flippant comments. I remember a family member saying about my daughter, oh, it's a shame she's not light-skinned. Do you know what I mean? And that's a flipping comment. They didn't even think they did anything wrong. Yeah. But they, because they'd internalised that actually she's beautiful now, but imagine if she was light-skinned. Wow! It's embedded in us. And yes, when they're young, you're talking about 15, it is a survival of the thing. You, you're trying to be popular. Because I think that's what Gets was saying on the live, that people know that they say certain things, they're going to get clout. So actually shitting on dark-skinned women or shitting on Somalis or shitting on a 
a marginalized group actually makes you look funny and clever, especially schoolyard tactics. You diss the person that's the most funny. It's, it's, easy, it's an easy target. So you get clout and you get followers and people will laugh like, yeah, yeah, they're funny and rah, rah, they're saying all that. However, I think there's an element of empathy, but then there's a blockage of having this conversation because we then say they're young, they're victims of white supremacy. And especially when it comes to, again, unfortunately, our musicians and our prominent people are led by black men, it seems like. So they're the ones who have this voice and they're the ones who kind of show and dictate what's popping and what's not in that sense. And when you have guys that are consistently saying the same thing and you can't have this conversation, you cannot raise it, especially if you're a black woman. If you're a black woman, then you're seen as bitter or an, unless you're a pretty black woman or a light-skinned black woman who's talking about something and then they'll receive it better. It's like when you're single and giving advice about relationships and it's not taken as the same way they take it from someone who's married. Because like, what do you know? There's a little bit of wanting to receive the message from someone that they can accept it from. That's again, like they say, people like, what's that guy, the white guy that talks about race. When you're talking about racism, hand it over to a white person to talk about it because white people talking to white people sounds less aggressive than having black people talk about their issues to white people. So it's also always about finding someone in your, that you feel comfortable telling you something that you don't want to hear. So I think there's an element of, having this conversation honestly the feeling and the emotion that comes out of this is real i also don't like the narrative that's put up on dark skin girls that are all victims because nella rose again for being a dark skin woman who's quite big in size she was a very big representative of the non-conformist idealisms of beauty and she had a nice it was a real nice multicultural group that she has brought into the forefront with her um, influential brand so anyway so I'm going off tangent, but my point is, it's hard to have this conversation. Where to start, who knows? It's in the family, it's in our community. I don't think we can look to white people to change supremacy because they're just doing what they're going to do. We have to learn how to accept each other and not care about what goes on in the outside world. We need to change the narrative that you're not going to do well unless you're dealing with a white person or a light-skinned person on your arm or if you're a certain black and you're not Somali or something like that. I think it's a bit of a cop-out. I'm not saying, like, don't be compassionate at all, of course. But what about the hundreds of thousands of young black people that don't do this? Like, this is not the norm. And I think that the problem is, is this form of banter is presented as, like, this is normal. It's a phase that everyone goes, no, it's not. It's not. Not everybody has these feelings. When I saw that post, and it was literally, like, a slide post, it was, like, maybe, like, 10 slides. And it was just one after the other. other. Me as a big woman, yeah, a big auntie, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Even I was a bit, like, it made me so heavy because I'm just, like, no one cares about us, man. It's heartbreaking to think at my big age that I still think that. And that is what I'm presented. And imagine the young girls that see that, that look like me. How are they feeling? I think when I was young, I'm one of the darkest in my family anyway. It was a thing, but I looked like my dad, so it wasn't a thing. I don't know. It was kind of messy for me. I didn't let it bother me. But at the same time, when someone called me Shadow... I punch them in their face, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of but I'm not saying you should do that. I'm not advocating that at all. But it was other people that always had the issue with my skin tone. It wasn't me that had the issue with my skin tone. I don't know exactly what the solution is here, but I do think you need to hold people responsible. We're all being oppressed by racism. So it doesn't give you the right to take your shit out on another person that looks like you. Nilla Rose, I met her as well, lovely girl. She's obviously come a long way and that's great and everything like that, but you built your platform on black women. That's why you're here in this position. At the very least, go through your tweet history, love. If that doesn't re represent you anymore, get rid of it. 
it's not taking the consideration that things on internet live forever. I remember when, when my niece and nephew, who are kind of in the same age group, when they started using these platforms, I sat them down and let them know, like, look, this stuff will stay forever. You need to be careful about what you tweet, what you post on Instagram, like make sure that you can stand by what you're saying in 10 years or get rid of it. That conversation as well needs to be had. And I do think schools need to do a lot better as well at identifying colorism issues. You know what I mean? And not letting it pass by like it's nothing or it's banter. They need to crack down on it because if it's anything else, they would. And it is a form of bullying. So I think they have a responsibility to do something there as well. So, um, yeah, I've been following this story online. It's quite interesting. And obviously there's quite a lot of people involved. But why is, what's her name? Nella? Nella Rose. Nella Rose. Why is she getting all this backlash more than other people? Like she's deleted all her social media accounts. And yeah, these, these tweets were from 2012. And as much as you say like, you know, you should be held accountable for what you say when you're 12, 13. I have no idea what I said when I was 12 or 13. And I just thank God that social media didn't exist back then. Not to say that I was having these conversations, but I don't know. I'm just trying to think, can I remember everything that I've ever said online? We need to look at the language that we use and why it's so easy that the default language of banter in the black community tends to revolve around shadism and dissing groups within us. Either it's the Somalis or the people that are not cool black that we see or dark skinned girls. That is the default banter. So we have to address that. The other thing is, yes, when you're young, talking reckless, it's a bit hard to hold them accountable for stuff that you said in your 12, 13, funny little ages because you are going through that popularity contest. You're trying to sound cool. Sometimes you do say like they are the, the racist white girl. We don't actually know if she's 100% racist. She should definitely get in trouble. But actually she could have been growing around stuff and actually she doesn't even mean it. She's just talking reckless. So there is the elements of kids, young people doing that. That's standard. You do have this also mob mentality, cancel culture where people just like rah, react. And actually people probably would have retweeted, probably would have liked them. But in the moment that it's all come out, they're going with their pitchforks saying, yeah, you're out of order. When actually come a week or two, all these people are going to get their followers, maybe even more. Because um, someone even took a picture of Stella's Rose's numbers. It's gone up a couple hundred or something like that in all the backlash. So we know that we're going to move on to the next. So there's something that we need to look at in that. And also someone pointed out that where is, why we got this energy for Nella Rose, a dark-skinned black girl, and we didn't have the same energy for Maya Jammer. You lot are calling for um, Nella Rose to lose endorsements, but yet no one, everyone backed and supported Maya Jammer. So there's always these no. things, all these different conversations that are coming out of this thing. And I think there's a multiple strands that we need to look at in regards to resolving this. There's how we talk about each other in the black community, how we address tweets that we said when we were teenagers and maybe think not thinking 100% how we do hold people accountable and also how we punish people there's a few different strands in all of these things that happen and come out I think it's like so the thing that uh, I am being triggered by is the punishing people who are you punishing there's no end to it doesn't begin with them for them to be punished and I think that's where I'm like cancel culture doesn't work because all you're doing is cutting off somebody who is employing lots of other people who may look like them from being able to pay them. Changing the perception and how we 
interact with each other. That is parenting. That's like ground up. That is when your auntie says something, you don't be like, oh, that's auntie da 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 that's how uncle did. No, you stop it then. You're like, do not talk about my child like this. It's in your house, not via the internet, because that person was in an environment where they heard it as well, and they internalized it. It's actually policing your own houses. We can't police people on the internet. All that is, is just a reflection of what we deal with. And we don't want to deal with our own shit. So it's very easy to go pitchfork at somebody while you're just typing. Then when the people around you are talking like this, you allow it to take place. Eventually their child is going to be the next one writing about it on Twitter that we're all pitchforking at. It's, it's, our, it's actually our individual responsibilities for ourselves. I don't think it has anything to do with a celebrity standing up and apologising or an influencer being like, I'm sorry, I was a kid. That's like, these are pointless. That does nothing. What would be more effective is all of these people involved in this now, you get together and you do a documentary that lives and is shared in schools and you actually are being very honest about why you were speaking like this, how you were feeling when you were speaking like this and the effects it has had on other people in society because I'm, an, I'm influential now. I need to do my part to change it. That would be more effective than putting out a tweet that everybody forgets about. Totally agree. And it goes back to what I said before. You have to start in your home. My gran is a lady who's in her 80s and she has said some shit and I've let her know you can't say that shit around me. I don't have that. My daughter is a black child, but she's very pale and I'm not having her be treated any different to my niece who's of darker hue I'm not having it we don't have that in my family I have made sure that my daughter has known from a very early age we come in many different shades but we're all equal so that she doesn't feel like she's better than anybody else and that anybody else can't tell her nothing about you're not black enough or this person's too black I have done that I have made sure I will continue to do that stuff so it has to start from home you're absolutely right these people do have an obligation to go out and talk about why they said what they said when they said it. It's the only way that anything's going to change. I'm not expecting no white man to come and save us and to change this because it's not going to happen from them. As I said before, it's a historical problem that has never been addressed properly. It's house nigger, field nigger. It's that shit. And I just to say that they did come for my jammer with pitchforks. So I think that people are coming for Nella in particular because she has a huge platform and she herself knows that it was built by black women and she stands for black women. So I think that people do feel let down with her. That someone that they, you know, you can say what you want about her followers, whatever, but they believe in her, they've supported her and then helped her build her position to where she is and essentially help her income. So um, I think they feel a little bit let down. I do think there's value in apologies. Like I watched some of her apology video. I didn't watch all of it. I think she was coming across well. It came across that she thought about the impact of what she has said in the past. And she didn't, she wasn't making excuses for herself. She was just like, people, if they're angry with me, I understand and that sort of thing. So she knows. I think the problem is that people were doing this for bants. That's the issue. It's not like, oh, you know, I'm so oppressed and da da da. Do you know what I mean? They were just doing it because it made them popular at the time. And for that, I think there does need to be repercussions for that, really. Because how do you then 
teach people that that's not okay. Otherwise, there's no consequence. I can be any age and say whatever I like and grow up thinking that I can say whatever I like. And that's not right. We can't heal as a people if we don't respect each other. How that also works is, yes, of course, in the home, but lots of people come from good homes and go on Twitter and do madness. Also, okay, if you're going to step out of my home and do this, you need to be pulled up. There's other people like my Jamma. Yes, people came for her 100% and they should have come for her because what she was saying was wrong at the time. Do you know what I mean? And again, it's like no one took thought like, okay, this person's getting somewhere. Let me just go and check. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If there's anything and get rid of it, if that's what she doesn't believe. There does need to be some responsibility on the people who are in the limelight, who do make their money off audiences and the audiences that they're representing are feeling let down there's been presenters that have lost their jobs for less so i'm not saying that they should do that or they should you lose endorsements not at all i think that they should make some sort of statement and some sort of explanation for what they have done in the past otherwise it's almost like you don't know who the person you're following is um i have to repeat again i was not endorsing the comment that the person said about Mayor Jammer. It was just something in amongst all the madness that happened, the pitchfork thing, people are then saying, oh, Nella Rose, if she's a dark skin woman and Mayor Jammer, they want to let her off in this kind of way. So I'm not endorsing that. It was just a comment that came up. And also the history thing, it's been talked about. Everyone knows it's come from colonialism and slavery and stuff like that. So this conversation has been happening. People know it stops short of actually really dealing with it. And it is in the home, but also you have people that either they come from good homes or they don't come from good home and people who are invested in celebrity culture. They make these comments and they make their apologies and that's it, done. So there's, there's no real consequences. They might lose one endorsement, they might then they'll pick up another one when it's all forgotten. I mean, if you've got good PR and good management and good representation, your PR people will go through your Twitter history. This doesn't necessarily resolve it, but at least you can clean your background up and clean up your past. Because when you go into certain public arenas, your history is sweat cleansed and <laughs> had bleach poured over it, whatever, so that you <laughs> come across. Injected. <laughs> injected, exactly, with UV rays all over you. You get that cleanup so you can come out and represent in a way that will be best palatable to the audience. So I think there's more than an apology, is a documentary, it is a public forum, it's a discussion. And that's the one discussion that I would love to have with key people. And it's about who's saying it. When we have a diversity event, when it comes to the, the creative arts industry, you'll have a diversity in event and it will be the minions of the people who make the decisions that turn up, not the people who make the actual decisions who can change the whole industry to be better. And this is what the kind of thing that happens. You have the people who you expect, you then, you know, with this discussion, you'll have the Akalas, you have Getz, you'll have the conscious people talking, but the people who actually affect us in a bigger way, the Stormzies or the Mayor Jammers or the bigger people, I'm just putting out names here, they're the people that need to get up because they're the ones who have the bigger influence and power and people unfortunately listen to the person that's the shiniest in the room or the loudest in the room and those are the people that to have these conversations and not run away from them and say oh it's not because of that, it was just because of this and that, it doesn't matter. The conversation about colorism in our community on a bigger platform is never, never discussed. These people will know not to say anything about gay people or Jews from a young age, but yet it's, they don't have any bother in saying shit about dark-skinned women or Somali people, for example. What is that thing that we have so much disgust wow. about ourselves where we will know from a young age not to talk about gay people because we know we'll get some serious consequences, but yet punish is a harsh word, but it is something. What, what is that fear that I know at a young age, if I tweet about gay people, I'm, good, I'm done for? 
I mean, not everyone avoids it. Some people have said some stuff and they still do it. It's not everyone's fearful, but as time goes on, younger and younger, they know like, listen, if I say this, I'm finished. But yeah, if I say this about black people, it's all right. Don't you think it is getting better though? Because these tweets are old, yeah? They're, no one said these tweets today. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think the younger generations are changing. And I think in terms of like media, fashion, um, music videos, there are darker skinned girls representing and looking amazing. So girls have someone to look up to or idolize if obviously they like the whole lashes and makeup and stuff, but there's representation. So yeah, don't you think things are changing even if it is very, very slowly? I would say to be a young person now, like I'm thinking when I was 14, there was nobody that looked like me. And because we didn't have social media, what it, I'm thinking of the magazines or whatever, you may get one person, but the, it's, it wasn't there. Whereas now, definitely, there is a real strong presence, especially in the influencer space, where there's quite a few different uh, range of dark-skinned women. It, it's a reflection, but it's not that. To me, representation is it's being banded about just like diversity. It means nothing. It's a tick box. It's a plaster on the actual wound that is still open and is still seeping. So representation is a small fix. That's just one step that I have a whole bookshelf for my boys of books that I never had. It's just one step of it because they can see themselves in a way. But as I'm working through my life, I'm then mixing with other people how many of me are sitting in those rooms that are making decisions. That's when it gets less and less. And that's when it's more important. So on the media surface level scale, there is representation and there is diversity. But they are on the bottom. That's the workers. That's models, actors, singers. Decision makers, you may get one to a hundred of you. Running a corporation, then you get two to a thousand. And it's like, it's those scales but they give us these words, they give us representation, they give us diversity meetings. So that you're not doing anything. I'm just going to sandpaper over your shit so that you guys can be happy because, oh look, we have Beyonce doing a cover of something or another. Beyonce should have a whole flipping corporation. It's so plaster. It actually annoys me now when I see diversity campaign. I'm like, what bullshit? And it annoys me that this is even still going on to this day that people are falling for this ruse. But it's millenniums old. This isn't black and white. If you go back through history, you see this division. It's not gonna stop until you really look at, me saying this about dark-skinned women doesn't make me any higher because I'm still being downtrodden on. It's when we look at it in that flat surface way, like none of us benefit from somebody being at the bottom is when things will change. My story is also from um, the world of the internet. Someone put a tweet saying they were going to delete their Instagram because they were so riled up about a picture. So let me read this tweet. So deleted Instagram today for the first time ever in brackets, eight years. Don't know when I'll be back, but I'll let it be known that it was this image that did it. An image was of a black lady sitting on a picnic 
blanket. He's an apple under a very big bourgeois hat sitting in front of her old money vintage Norfolk country mansion. So I went to her page and I was like, hold up, this lady is gold. Just imagine like... Sorry, can um, you get the lady's name? I don't know. So her name is Paula and her, her handle is Hill House Vintage and her house is absolutely beautiful. So think stately home, think country mansions. She would be in some kind of la-di-da magazine interior oh, uh, magazine sorry i'm so, following her already yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah once twitter got hold of the story everyone was like how dare you come for auntie paula because we have um named her auntie paula because she is auntie paula <laughs> and everyone went to the page and followed her including me because i was like oh my god her house is amazing yeah. but, me. so i think she now has about 243,000 followers i don't think she had that many this time last week so I think it's amazing that everyone has like supported her. But my question is, could you be Auntie Paula and move to Norfolk and be in that bourgeois country mansion? Yes, that's why I follow her. I follow quite a few different interior designers because I have a thing of I'm going to have a main house one day. So I keep on looking at all of the different types of designs I will have in my main house. And somebody highlighted a, a room that she had and I was like, oh, this is lovely. So I, I follow her loosely, but not really. She isn't somebody that I come across too often. I'm not quite understanding what was the problem. That's what I don't get. Oh, do we know what the problem was? We know what the problem was. Come on. I need it spelled out to me then because I'm like, okay. what is the thing? So the lady who posted it, I'm going to say she was white. So okay. I instantly thought she was a bit jealous. How dare this black lady have this life? Because you don't see black ladies in stately homes with old money and paintings of old white men on their walls. That's how I took it. So then people are just reminding her, like, we can be in those spaces, therefore we are going to support her. But that's how I kind of took it when I read the tweet and looked at the lady. But I must say that she has since apologised. She went back on Instagram and DM'd Auntie Paula to apologise. Yeah, I saw this because I saw the picture and I was thinking, what's the issue here? Do you know what I mean? Like, I was totally baffled. Like, and literally, <laughs> it's so funny, but like, you can't just be, in it. <laughs> You can't actually just be without someone having a, being offended by it. And it's just like, okay, what's the crime? Being black, essentially. That's okay. the crime that was made here. And it turned out, you know, people done their research, found out she works at WeTransfer. Do you know what I mean? That like, kind of thing. And she had to apologise. Like, do you know what I mean? Because it's like, why are you coming for this lady who's just taking a picture of her thing? And it was like, there was people saying, oh, you know, it's so contrived and everything like that. Like, how, what, what? What's your problem? Like, so many people do layouts and spreads all the time. Like, Auntie Paula explained herself as saying, you know, she's just trying to spread a little bit of joy in this difficult time. This is just what she does. It's a joyful picture. It made me smile. I looked at other pictures. It made me smile as well. There's a lot of colour in there. It's very, do you know what I mean? It's all vibrant. It's nice. Like, leave the woman alone, man. Seriously, they tried to come for her. But what they realised, no, Black to it was not having it. They weren't having it. And it was just like, Lady, shut up. But to answer your question, hell no. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not moving out of the city. <laughs> never. 
never ever 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 i'm probably like to live in a different country for a little while um maybe half of the year but also in the city i'm a city girl through and through 100 percent. you know what i get why people have done this to her because she's not the norm right and that's one of the fears i have about moving out into an area where there's less black people i'm less protected i'm more vulnerable i'm more exposed and i cannot just be myself it's a no for me it's too risky i would not be moving to norfolk no thank you if i could pick up her house and put it somewhere in the city then that would be amazing <laughs> you know just on her page and i just can't stop looking at it it's amazing her house is great she's great i love her but no i'm not moving to norfolk i've been to norfolk once when I was like 14 and we went on school journey for a week and I don't need to return. Thank you very much. It's beautiful, but yes, no thank you. I'm with you, Sade. I can't be somewhere where if the revolution comes, there's no one to come. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I need to know that people have got my back near me, not people are trying to use me as some sort of example. No. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, I saw this and didn't, I really was baffled. Same thing that everyone else said. I saw it and I was like, why are people coming for her? I don't even understand. And it is, as already been mentioned, it's so unbelievable to some people that black people can be comfortable, rich, and living in a comfortable, beautiful existence. And I think the white woman's senses were offended. She reminds me of those white people that make unnecessary phone calls when they see black people having fun. It just irks them <laughs> seeing us just having fun and doing normal things. Like, oh my God, why aren't you in a corner crying about racism and being, being feeling oppressed? We've worked so hard, but yet you're acting free. Are you mad? Can you get back in your box, please? So I feel like it's some of that energy that triggers some white people like, oh my God, we haven't done enough to control them. Likewise, I've lived in the countryside. I've been the only black in the village and it's not for me, thank you. I like being around my people. I like a steady, I like a steady mix. I like to have a multicultural environment. Uh-huh. Maybe it's a bit more weighted towards my people, but just having a multicultural environment. I'm a city girl. Um, I don't actually mind because I grew up in Mitcham as well. So where that my Mitcham house was, we had a lot of greenery around and I actually wish I could pick up all that greenery and bring it to West London because I lived in that house and had the park that we had around my, my house. I'd love it. So I don't mind being in the city, having a bit of green, but knowing that I could just walk out and I see black folks get on a tube I'll see black folks I don't want to be on a country lane driving down the middle of the night and having in my mind I know the Ku Klux Klan will be right behind me with their, <laughs> <laughs> with their hooks and crosses coming me now nah, as far as I said when the revolution comes I do not want to be knocking on someone's door and it's like dang dang dang, dang. No, sorry yeah so <laughs> precisely for that reason is why I want to pick up and move out I have that same thing. Like, I don't want to be the only black in the village. And I'm putting it out there. We don't have to be the only black in the village. We can just move and create our village with more space around us. I have quite a few friends now who have, they ain't gone far though. You know, it's like Kent, Essex. They ain't gone far, far. But it's still, they have land around them. So I would do that. I would go and move next to somebody that is already there, hoping that you go somebody else is like, oh, there's two of them now, then we go, and then before you know it, we have, and that's what they're scared of them. You think of East London, isn't that what happened? (laughs) East London was run, and then they moved further out, and it's just like, look, this is how it is. Until then, you're like, you know what? It's better when they're around, you know? Like, we make it better, so... You're talking about the great white exodus, so we come in, they go out, the white flight. But um, (laughs) I, I... 
put it this way, I love the countryside. I actually love it. I love the air, I love the freshness of everything. There is a little bit of that fear factor of the dark country lanes and having to drive everywhere. And if it's like, I'm very used to having the tube 10 minutes from my yard. It's been a mind adjustment. So, I mean, we're, I guess quarantine is training us to be stuck in our place and comfortable. I need everything to be top notch. Our internet, I need a 5G mask right by my big mansion, <laughs> my country mansion. I'd need to have my, you know, cars and horses, tractors, I don't know. I'm a bit of a city girl. Having a bus and a tube to hand would be a little bit of a problem if it wasn't there. I remember when my daughter's auntie moved out and the bus stop that we were waiting at before we got to the train station, that stressed me out, man. But if everyone's there, but then we'd need to bring a club as well. More than one club, because it couldn't be just one club that we all at every week. Then you've got to have more than a pub, because those that country living is very singular. You've got one local pub, you've got one possible town hall where you could possibly have a dance, and then you've got the church, then you've got the local shop. Well, you've got the local shop, and then you've got maybe one supermarket, and then you've got the hairdressers. There's going to be one of everything. It's it's a lot. It's an adjustment. You're changing it into a city. <laughs> it will no longer be country because you're saying we need to all go there with all of our things. Maybe two local shops. And, that's, and then you have the police station and then you have the farms. So I there know, is, you are yeah. multiple of all of those things. <laughs> yeah, it's a city. I'll turn it into yeah. a village city. You'll turn it into a city. Norfolk's quite big though, isn't it? I'm sure they've got more than that. They'll have the outskirts and you have in towns. You've got to drive in into oh, town. Okay. okay. Into town. Into yeah. town. So um, when I read this story, I did imagine myself in her house, obviously, being bougie and lady of leisure. I don't know. I think if I drove, I'm not that fast about living in the middle of nowhere and blasting my music. So if it was Norfolk, it would have to be literally middle of nowhere where no other people are around and complaining about me being black and bougie in my house. But realistically, I don't think I could move there. I live in Essex, that's far enough. So if it was a case of me having Auntie Paula's house, it would have to be like a second home and I go there on weekends. Yeah, yeah. that would work. <laughs> that, that would definitely work, but I'm not living out in the middle of nowhere. I could die and no one would know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You've right. got people with you. You're not exactly. completely alone. Not alone. <laughs> you still have a child. <laughs> She won't want to live there. <laughs> she has no choice. Get her a pony. You'll be fine. Look at that. It's lovely. Galloping through the dales to go to the shop. I can't. Exactly. <laughs> I'm galloping to London to visit you, the aunties. <laughs> I, I, lived in, I lived in West London growing up and my mum moved us to Sudbury town. Amazing. And that's not that far. But I was traumatised. Sudbury near Wembley? Yes. Because I lived in like Latimer Road and we moved from <laughs> Latimer Road to, to Sudbury and I was um, traumatised. Sudbury is just like the other side because, of Because the train station was about a 15 minute walk and I was <laughs> used to coming out of the house and there's the bus, <laughs> you know, like there's the shop. You had to really make an event to go to the shop. No. I would help for like overeating snacks. Oh, either I'd spend a thousand pounds a week or a month, so I've got enough snacks. I couldn't have to go to so the quarantine is training for that country life. I think we're preparing for it because I don't just go outside and buy snacks anymore. So yeah, bring it on, country living. But you've eaten all the flavours of the new crisps. It's got nothing to do with this conversation. That braid does not count as countryside or. I'm, I'm not saying. 
minute. Listen, I, I got moved to Watford, yeah, and then buses are like every hour. There's N word written everywhere. I was in the middle of nowhere. Come on, train I, I, every twenty minutes. I am feeling it for you, but you have got to remember at the time to be taken from one extreme to the next. It was a lot. Watford. Yes, I feel sorry for you. I really <laughs> thank you. I, I win that round, right? I win. Yeah, you win. <laughs> I can't lie. I don't even know where Sudbury is. Like, I have no idea. I, have, I really don't know. <laughs> Just, Between Harrow and Wembley. Okay, that's too far. Anything outside Zone Two is too far. <laughs> I hate trains. I really love the undergrounds. Oh, I need to be able to get around quickly, um, not in traffic, all that kind of stuff. So no. 100% city girl. This is how I thought I would always be. But then we had kids and now we're in Essex. During lockdown, I've realised how much space I've got. Because if, it, if I was in like a little flat, I think I'd be going nuts. And my sister's here and she's like, it's so good that you've got space. So as much as I do miss London life, I kind of am quite grateful for the space that I've got. And I don't think I can go back to having a smaller space with this many people in my house. Like I would probably downside when it's just two of us, but with kids, I think it's just something different. I'm very, I'm kind of happy that I did move out. There's trains, I can be in Liverpool Street in 40 minutes. See, that's too long. And also, (laughs) (laughs) also like there are houses, I know it's it's pricey, yeah, I do. There is space in London. Like when we moved to Brixton, we was in a five story house. We had space, man. Do you know what I mean? And there was loads of kids. So it's possible. I think ultimately having my community close is definitely a benefit. That was one of the reasons as well that I'd stayed in London when I went to uni as well kind of thing, because I wanted, I didn't want to be a minority, even more of a minority. Let me even say that like um, outside and not having a support network. It was important for me to have that connection there. Yeah. Agreed. When I left home, I then moved to West London again. I was there for like 19 years until I had to move to North West London. And I know it's still London, but that's traumatic for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so my story is, so Trevor Phillips is the former head of the Equality and Human Rights Commission. And he's now been appointed to be part of this review on coronavirus's impact on the black and ethnic minority community and people are criticizing and people have written open letters and called him out saying he's not been um, a favorite in the black community for a long while he's spoken about in favor of colonialism he's been an admitted um, islamophobe and lots of people from the muslim communities are complaining people from the black communities are complaining and saying this guy is not equipped to be the person appointed to be in charge of this research into why coronavirus is disproportionately affecting the black community I don't know what I thought about it because in amongst all this, you know, again, council culture, backlash, arguing, saying who has the right to speak for whom. In amongst it, I thought, one, were you lot bothered? Did you hear about it? And two, does it matter that Trevor Phillips, someone who has had alternative thoughts about how black people exist in this space, is he the wrong person to be looking into research on how something affects black people? Considering we have had the discussion about how much we believe that coronavirus affects us disproportionately, how much this is being used as propaganda, whether or not we believe it's propaganda against the black community. And actually, if someone who doesn't think 
like black people en masse is always seen as a coon or a detractor, isn't possibly that person, the right person to go into something like this because they're so skeptical. So I'm wondering like, what are your thoughts about having someone who's so controversial to the black community seen as a dissenter and a coon? I hadn't heard about this appointment, but the last thing I remember reading about him was he was being suspended from the Labour Party. I think the fact that he has been appointed in whatever fashion, if he's sitting on a board or he's the head of it, it actually so symbolises my thoughts on this whole black people being affected disproportionately by corona. Because if it was real, you would not have Trevor Phillips there. He is like the archetypal monkey that you place in front of boards to speak for black people because he is, I think he has sheer contempt for brown skin in any fashion on any human being. Like he is the poster. You, you put him on something when you're like, we're going to cut services. We are going to shit on you from a great height. Trevor Phillips is there on that board because he will be the face to be like, yeah, I'm doing this. Honestly, the fact that he's on it, it's a farce already. But then you even managed to get yourself suspended from the Labour Party just flipping six weeks ago and you've got another job. Again, is dotting an I and crossing a T that this man is a, a prize coconut that gets placed on boards. How has he got another job? Sorry, I should have had my facts before. The Public, Public Health England, PHE, have asked um, Trevor Phillips and Professor Richard Weber, who together run a specialist research company called Weber Phillips, to provide expert support to an inquiry into why increasing numbers of victims of the coronavirus pandemic are from BAME backgrounds. Now, let me tell you something about this research company, Weber Phillips. When I looked into it, Weber Phillips provides information and people like the police organizations use this information, this data, to further help their investigations. And what, one of the things that this thing does is where people of ethnic backgrounds may have an English name, so they're not readily identifiable. So you might not be able to pick up that person in data is actually black or of color. This data unearths the people who have got a Christian or a Western name on top of their ethnicity. So that could possibly, if you're called Marcus Brown, doesn't really tell if you're actually Adewale Kubre 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 from wherever. Sorry. No, Marcus Brown is probably Jamaican. We get the thing. No, 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 no. Not everyone with the surname Brown is Jamaican. I'm just saying. But you get my drift that, you know, someone with. This is also, if you're going to be calling Trevor Phillips the kind of person who is a turncoat, an Oreo, then this kind of data, this company that he's founded that helps organisations unearth even more data about black people who just want to live their life without being discovered, he's also supplying that information. And this is why they're asking him to do this. So why we do research? We know why. I just don't think this even really needs to be done. There's stories out there that they're putting like all the black nurses on the COVID ward and things like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like those kind of things need to stop and change and all that kind of stuff. But this guy, I don't know, he's like a villain in a bad film. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That like, kind of thing. He doesn't come across as a good guy at all. And he's definitely not supported by the people. I do think that does matter, actually, because... If you have someone who is investigating 
on behalf of a community, then in order for that community to even accept the research, you, do you know what I mean? It needs to be from someone that we can trust mm-hmm. and we believe, you know, because otherwise, in, especially in this day and age, you know, we'll just look at it and just be like, well, no, we don't believe you because, you know, your track record has said this and we don't trust you. He might be trusted from a government perspective, but now nah, we don't trust him. So... I can't remember what the question was, but my pet peeve is people talking on behalf of the people when no one appointed them. It's so annoying. Like you get it from influencers, celebrities, they're, they're chiming in on black rights and black issues. And we're like, that's not what I'm thinking. So you're not speaking on behalf of me. It's so frustrating because they send out the wrong message. And then you get people from outside of the community listening to them. And they're like, right, this is what we should do. This is news. And it just needs to stop. The question was, is someone as controversial as Trevor Phillips being appointed to do some research? The end result is supposed to benefit us as BAME people, maybe survive the next outbreak. Is he the right person to do that? So- we didn't appoint him, therefore no. Um, his response to this is that <laughs> everyone should be contributing anything they can to do to tackling this crisis. Anyone can see the research which I, Richard and I have already done on our website, which explains why we've been asked to help. And again, this kind of plays into what we've spoken about throughout this um, conversation, and it's about the lack of power black people have. Because we've got black groups, there's a group called Influencers, a group of um, influential black women from the UK who've written an open letter breaking down why they feel that this appointment is wrong. But the overarching narrative is about the Islamophobia. Obviously, it's something that's just happened. However, that's the stronger narrative that's coming through in the mainstream, that it's actually the Islamophobia and the Muslim councils. You don't really have the black council, whatever that is, however that's shaped, saying that this is wrong, we're not happy because it's probably more the Muslim council that will affect his position being pulled away from him than any that non-existent black council. I was just going to say there is like intersectionality there as well though because my dad was part of one of the first black Muslim organisations in this country so I do think that is kind of often missed you know what I mean that does affect a large amount of black people too even though that's the narrative I do think that's probably the narrative because Islamophobia is a very hot topic and it's on the rise and that sort of thing so I do understand that but you know there is a large community of black people that will be fighting for both sides kind of thing. Yeah, you're right. If people do forget that there's a large community of black Muslims, but I think the average white person probably sees an Asian person than before they think of a black Muslim. And that's the power base that they think of who can affect change. They would be less inclined to think of a black person. From a community aspect, being able to galvanize yourself and rally around and really have a direct focus is easier for the religion bases because they have a building, like they have that foundation, they have a place where they meet up. So their structure has been formed. So for me, when I look on this, if we are gonna go down racial lines and all of that, I think then where is the Christian delegation of all of these black churches that get together and speak for black people And I think that's so, the lack of voice that the Christian church base has, I don't understand how they still have congregations. How could you be in a congregation and things affect you, but you don't have a delegation of pastors that get together, that are working for change? 
other than asking you to pay them money and driving around in Bentleys. It's like, but again, yeah. Especially black Christians and black Christian organisations have been criticised across the board from the stuff like police brutality to affecting change in government. When, When you have black religious leaders laying hands on Donald Trump and not feeling any type of way about that picture going out into the ether, Remember when, what was the controversial, I'm not going to say he's controversial, what was the reverend that Obama grew up going to church to, and then when he became president, that whole backlash came out. What was his name, Obama? That, because he was a very black, pro-black pastor. And oh, and then he had to turn his back, he couldn't. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, Obama yeah. had to turn his back I can't on remember him. remember the dude's but, name, but I remember yeah, so, happening. Yeah, and I think Christianity has that forgiven, and it was used to beat us down in slavery and keep us oppressed. And I have strong feelings about Christianity and... There's a reason why pastors don't galvanize because they could. And I think when you're talking about organizations and stuff that goes on and conspiracy theories, I think the fact that black preachers have that level of impact and can affect that many people and they don't, they haven't come together to do something under the name of Christianity, I think there's more at play. I think super pastors and stuff have a cap on what they can do. And they're told, you want to exist with your jets and stuff go forth but don't you dare try and galvanize <laughs> your people to do any type of revolution because we'll come for you and shut that shit down you'll be back preaching in a little shack in a <laughs> backwater village mate i was just gonna say yeah like the traditional black churches in the uk they don't have the delegation to your point now <laughs> like they just don't the numbers are dwindling like do you know what i mean people don't really go to church the only church that seems to be growing is spack nation and i'm not sure we want them to represent us to be honest yeah, yeah those big just, ones huge ones in east london I think I agree with you, Akoya. I definitely think there's something else at play. Overall, my personal view is that religion is social control. So I'll just leave it there. So does everyone think that Trevor Phillips is not the right person? Hell no. No, he was the right person. That's the end of headlines. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm Auntie Nana. You're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. Now it's time for aunties to fix your life with Aunties Know Best. Dear aunties, I need some advice. My friend of 20 years has betrayed me in the worst possible way and she doesn't know that I know. I found out that she has been messaging my husband and they've been sending each other inappropriate images on Instagram. The messages sound like something has happened, but I'm not sure what or how far they've gone, if at all. I don't know how to approach either of them. I don't want to lose my boyfriend or best friend. Help. Anon. I mean, <laughs> if the evidence is there, she needs to lose both of them. I'll let someone else talk. <laughs> I know how I'd approach them with knives. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really feel for this girl. All right, so she actually wants to remain with her boyfriend and she still wants her best friend. Realistically, both have to go. You can't hold on to one because if you hold on to your boyfriend, you have no trust. If you hold on to your best friend, you have no trust. Maybe you could sit down with them and discuss it, but realistically, it's not going to work. I can't see how you can hold on to any of them. But I'd still sit down and have a discussion just for bants, just for the story. It makes a very good story that you can go on through life with sharing. So just for the story, call a meeting and and show what you found. (laughs) And record it. 
I know this woman. Well, I don't know her. Just going off track slightly, just very quickly. This woman found out that her husband was cheating. What she did, she planned a trip for them. They went away. They had the most romantic night they could ever have. He was ecstatic. It was all great. When he was asleep, she took his passport and she went home. (gasps) And she left that bitch stranded. (laughs) She cleared out the bank accounts. That's what you call revenge. Like, you know. I can't lie. (laughs) Made me very happy when I heard that. That's amazing. That's a good one. That's a story. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, my best friend could never. That's for sure. (laughs) Could absolutely never. Bloody hell, man. You just have to lose both of them. You can't, it's not your choice anymore, really. Well, to be honest, have a conversation. If they're sending images, that's enough. It's enough. It's enough. It doesn't matter if something's happened, like physically happened or not. Like the fact that they're sending images, they're confirming that there's attraction and they're acting on it. Do you know what I mean? So there's just absolutely no way you can trust either of them. Like if this is your best friend, like someone that's going to be in your life at occasions, you know what I mean? Like she's going to be around your boyfriend. He's going to be around her. You just wouldn't be able to trust anyone. So unfortunately, you're going to have to get yourself a new friend, a new boyfriend. Don't worry. Quarantine is almost over. There's going to be plenty of fish in the sea. You will do fine, my love. Definitely. Because the only images they should have been sharing is of engagement rings. That's the truth. Yeah, she just needs to ditch both of them. But I'm so petty. I like petty antics. So if it was me, (laughs) I'd take a picture of myself and put the words, I know what you are doing, and then send it from his phone to her on Instagram. And then they both can see it. And then I'll just sit back and wait for the fireworks. I like that. Petty Betty. Yeah, I'm with you. This comes from Banged Up in Britain. So Banged Up in Britain says, I've got four children with four different people and I don't get on with any of the baby mothers. I recently phoned one of my baby mothers to talk to my daughter and she said, call me back in a minute, I'm on the phone. So I don't think that she understood that I was obviously in a situation where I might not be able to call her back because as well as everyone being locked up, we're locked up more. So I've now decided to just lock off all my baby children, my babies and my baby mothers, and I will deal with them when we're older. I want to know whether or not you feel like this is right. That's what Banged Up in Britain has said. Do you think his children are going to understand that it's not him, Mm. it's the baby mothers? No, 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 no. Because first of all, first of all, first of all, he doesn't get on with them. He's a common denominator. That's one thing. Second of all, one, baby, baby, one mother of his child or children has said that she's on the phone doing something and then everyone suffers, so everyone gets locked off. What's that? That's childish and reactionary. Number three of my points, what was he locked up for? How long is he away for us to determine whether his children will benefit from him and his phone calls or not? Do the children come and visit him? Are they it allowed to see him? It doesn't say that. It just says that he's banged up. Um, so in the email, he says that he's got another three to four years to serve. Okay, so look, that's not too long, I suppose, if he's been away for us however long, so not necessarily too bad, and he could face it. But if he doesn't use his time inside to work on himself and understand how he's going to interact, because he's just going to come out into the same madness, and it's going to be worse for him, because he will not have the excuse of being behind bars why he doesn't see his children and make the effort to sort this out. Why has he got issues with every single one of his women? What is his problem? And his children don't need to suffer. But however, 
Full disclosure, I've had a partner who's been in jail before and shit happens. When you're young, you're kind of like, I've got to be home by six o'clock because he's going to be calling from Penn and I can't miss the phone call. That crap that you go through. But then also, if she's got a phone call and she's got a phone call, why should she give up her life? It depends on their relationship. And if she's got an important phone call, then she's got a phone call. If you can't call back, you can call back tomorrow. And if you're bad inside and you lose your privileges, then stop being bad inside and losing your phone privileges. I mean, come on. Anyway. <laughs> Everything that Akoya said, and when you come out, have a vasectomy. That's, <laughs> that's my contribution to that. Really for banged up inside you really have to think of when you have children what you put into them as they're growing up is what you're going to get out of them on your other end so when you're old and that's when you really need your children if you weren't there for them when they were young just remember you're going to be in a home and you're going to have to be hoping that the government is is about to look after you because that's what's going to take place so from that alone, you just need to swallow your pride. If you don't care about them, care about yourself enough to know if I don't invest in these kids now, I will be alone and in an NHS home and Lord knows what shit's going to be going around and I'm not even going to have my kids to come and help me out. Just Ooh. remember that. Banged up must have phone privileges because he's listening to this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man's got a mobile. <laughs> your big mother and your children whenever my whole thing it just goes back to again of people making excuses they can't separate the relationship from the ex-partner with the children people have got to learn to separate that and stop playing games with each other he needs to work out why he's the one that's not getting on with all four of them unless he and all he needs to check his choices if he really as anana said if you're not laying down with the women that you can see yourself being with what's happening what's that there because you might be a really lovely sweet person banged up um, you might be. So it could be that you choose crazy women because you've got insecurities about yourself. You've got mummy issues or some sort of issues. Maybe it's that. Maybe that's what you need to work on. Whatever the case is, work on your shit so your children don't leave you in a home. Because when coronavirus hits and then there's no one to bring you groceries and shit like that, what are you going to do? You're alone. Judgy Wadji was a bear and I just want to know why he's in prison before I give any... I kind of want to know as well. I mean, <laughs> not being funny, he's in prison for a reason. All right, so this one's a bit more serious. My dilemma is from, funnily enough, we were talking about religion and my dilemma that's come into the inbox is about a young girl who's suffering under the weight of being quarantined with her very heavily religious family. So she's 20, 20 years old and she says, my family are extremely Christian. However, their church has recently updated their views on women and my parents have gone in. Life was restricted before, but now it's a big problem. I can't wear trousers, can't wear makeup or jewelry. I can't wear skirts above the knee, can't go out, can't have a boyfriend. My only escapism is uni and work. And now we're under quarantine. I'm being subjected to prayer time throughout the day. TV is dominated by my parents, which is on only the God channel. She says that we only have one laptop at home. My brother took the laptop from me, stopping me from doing my assignment. And so she mentions this because she goes on to say she's the main caregiver in the house, even though she has older siblings. So she feels like she can't leave home. And also, as a side note, she's added, one of her brothers is a bully who physically beats her and just torments her. Her dad has mentioned getting the police involved, but... Um, her mum has said to put has put a stop to it because their older brother has had previous run-ins with the law. So it's kind of that parental scary thing, I'm assuming. So she wants to move out, but she's scared because of respect, cultural tradition, and she feels like 
they're depending on her finances and support. She doesn't say she's the youngest, but she said her brothers, it seems, it implies that one of her brothers, they're both older than her. So she's stuck in this space and it's made worth being quarantined. She needs some advice on how, I guess she's saying like, how can I address this subject of moving out? Because I know if I was to raise the subject of moving out, my parents would say no. Um, and, how, and also this problem that, is, that she hasn't even asked for advice about, but her brother is bullying her. And she want, I, I think she needs some advice on that as well. This is what I mean about people wanting this quarantine shit. And these people are in these situations and they've got no way out. This girl, she needs to leave home. She doesn't need to have a conversation with her parents. She just needs to go. And I can say this because I had to do it myself. I grew up in a family that you have to have respect for your elders and all of this, that and the other. But I was in a situation that I could mentally and physically no longer cope with. And I had to leave home. You, she can build on her relationship with her family afterwards. But if she continues to stay in that environment with those people physically and mentally abusing her, she is going to end up maybe suicidal, maybe really hurt from what her brother's doing to her you know, with mental scars that she won't be able to recover from. There's so many things that could happen to this poor girl. She needs to move out of there. There are organisations that will help her do it while she, whilst we're under quarantine. We can list them, you know, there's organisations that will help her. Yeah, agreed. Like, baby girl, like, just know that you're not alone. This happens a lot. It's scary, but you will definitely get through it. Like, no situation is permanent. Everything changes. But in this case, you're going to have to make the change. I totally agree with Farah. I left home when I was young. I was 15 when I left home. I mean, it was very, very scary. But I couldn't be in my situation either. Find a friend. Like, make a plan. That's the only thing I think I didn't do. I'd just make a plan. By all means, get in touch with organisations. If you have a friend that you can stay with, even if it's only for a temporary basis, then do that. And also, you're not asking permission to leave. Because you know, you already know they're going to say no. So it's not about permission. You just have to get yourself out of that situation because no one is allowed to hurt you. It doesn't matter if they're older than you, you're related to you, whatever. No one is allowed to hurt you. Get that plan in place before you do anything to make sure that you can get out and make sure you can communicate, make sure, you, you know, your phone has battery, all that kind of stuff and everything like that. In terms of feeling guilty about helping them, there's nothing stopping you. Everyone's got a bank account. If you want to give them money, then you can do that if you, you feel that obligation. And then also like find someone you can talk to, whether it's like a family member that's not in the house. Usually unis, if you're going to uni, they have like therapists there kind of thing that's usually free of charge. And talk to them and try and make a plan with them as well. You definitely have to leave using this quarantine time so let's say we have like another two weeks to a month in this situation to really prepare yourself mentally to leave them so i think you need to go through a series of detachments internally so that you're able to once you're ready to go you have your mind in the right space to actually be able to cope by yourself without them because there's going to be some type of a dependency on them even though you're in a toxic situation having this downtime and also limited communications like through your laptop not having that access to the internet so much in your own space because they're always around you is a really good practice to go internally so to be meditating to go over your plan in your head have it all listed out what you can do Confide in a friend for the bits that you need to write down. 
So you need to be really methodical that somebody else in your household doesn't get wind that you are about to escape because that's when things can get really tricky for people when their exit route is seen by another person. So actually have that more through somebody else. If you need to write something down or you need research done on going to organisations, I would say try not to do that on this communal laptop. Nobody has the right, any family connection, any bloodline to treat you less than a queen. You have to take that within yourself though and be very sovereign in I'm going to leave and I'm going to be safe when I leave. Uh, in terms of organisations, when I left home, I went to Centrepoint, um, which is a homeless charity and they helped me a lot. Uh, you can either just Google them, I think it's centrepoint.org.uk. They specialise in helping young people in particular with all sorts of housing issues and that sort of thing. I was a donut when I left home. I took my school books <laughs> and no clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I did sent a point as well, but I had a really good friend and basically I packed up everything that was in my room. My mum was out and I just packed up my stuff with my friend and we left. It's hard and it's going to be very difficult, that transition from being around all of those people, even though they are being abusive to you. Being on your own is going to be very difficult. So I agree with, with Auntie Shade, you need to have counselling if you can, because it will really benefit you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, aunties, for your sound advice. I hope this young lady is taking it in and hears it well. That was aunties know best. If you have a dilemma, please send them to dilemmas.youraunteescouldnever at gmail.com. Hey, I'm Auntie Farah and you're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. And now we're about to take you guys back with Black in the Day. So, my <laughs> Black in the Day. <laughs> I'm going old school but not too old school naughty's fashion was horrendous and at the time <laughs> i didn't think that you know when you look at 80s you're like that's so specific to the 80s and then when you get to the 90s and like naughty's you're like this isn't weird it's just normal everyone's just dressing normally you can't tell that we're in the naughty's i remember when cowboy hats were in fashion <laughs> <laughs> And me, with my extra self, obviously, <laughs> had to get in on that. And I bought a pink cowboy hat, which I took to Ayanapa and carefully packed it, packed it up so it wouldn't get bent, took it out. I was a bit pissed because it got a tiny crease, but I still wore it out with my pink outfit because that was the fashion. So, would you get one now? Did no. you have one back in the day? Don't make it out like I was the only person that had a cowboy hat. <laughs> no! I've had a cowboy hat once, and that was on a Hindu, and I had to have a cowboy hat, but that's the only time. However, I do remember buying cowboy boots, and I didn't wear them because they were disgusting. Like, I got them, I was like, they were in the fashion, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get cowboy boots. And I got them, and they came, and I was just like, you can't pull them off. And, I <laughs> <laughs> and then I sold them on eBay for more money. That's what happened with my cowboy boots. Um, so never, ever have I ever wanted or thought about wearing a cowboy hat. But me and hats have a funny relationship. I've got a peanut head, so I can't just wear any hat. So that it wasn't even in my wheelhouse. However, I saw the fashion and was like, admired it on some people. Thought, oh, that looks kind of cool with a cowboy boots, an A-line jean skirt and a cowboy hat. Yeah, and a vest top. That look, I get it. I remember it. However, my version of something that I would never put on my foot again, and I see them, like, I don't know why I did it, was Spice Girl boots. 
I was a little bit, <laughs> I dressed typically black, of course, and then I had a little bit of an alternative streak. So the little bit of edgy fashion to my style. So when Spice Gold Boots came out, there was like a gray area for black girls to kind of venture into that space. I remember me and one of my homies, Auntie Natalie now, um, shout out Natalie, we had a pair and I remember one of the homies, one of my homeboys, Uncle John, as you know now, he, was, he used to gun us all the time and like, listen, those boots, it'd be the naughty's version of, what are those? <laughs> all the time, he used to be like, what the f is this? What are you doing? Why are you wearing those things? And we're like, it's fashion. They're in fashion, actually. Everyone's got them. Like, and people were wearing them. And it, was, it crossed out of alternative punk wear into this space where you could wear them if you thought you were cool. I will Can never, I say, ever... They're buffaloes. Okay, so the evolution of the Spice Girl boots is the buffalo. And I see buffalo shoes, and I hate them to the max. I hate that over-chunky train track. They look like choo-choo trains on a foot. <laughs> I don't know why I wore Spice Girl boots. I would never wear them again. The only difference, because they didn't have the curly, swirly base like a buffalo. They had the smooth block, like Herman Munster, Frankenstein shoes. Why? 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 And they were knee-high boots. They were black. I had black leather ones. They were knee-high. Wow. I never, ever, Spice Girls, damn you for making me think this was cool. Um, and hell no to the evolution of them into the Buffalo space. That was my never, ever, will I ever. Okay, <laughs> okay right. So, like, I done everything, right? So I had definitely had a pink, I had a whole pink suit. I had a pink cowboy hat that had, like, crystal tassels. And it came with, like, <laughs> a boob tube with tassels oh, no. and, like, a pencil skirt. <laughs> the tassels as well i had cowboy boots like i thought i was the guilt like i don't think you understand like i was so coordinated and so happy about it i had spice uh, spice girl trainers i had legs for days like seriously and like a little short <laughs> little short baby because i was a mixture of sporty and baby spice so i had like the baby blue like little skirt and I got my tongue pierced like Mel B as well. Which oh, I don't know. <laughs> you were just like, like musical spice girl. Then. She was all spice. Oh, spice. spice. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm old spice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, I was into every kind of trend, fashion, anything. Like, I was on it. Like, I loved dressing up. And back then, I mean, like, it is still kind of cheap now. But, like, it was super cheap to kind of just, you know, just to get whatever the new look was. And I was so experimental. I loved it. absolutely loved it. And I don't think I'd wear it now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I really no, thought you were going to say, and I would wear it now. <laughs> It would be that but, I think I think my family would be a bit upset with me if I had done that. So, and your yeah. friends. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had a, a cowboy hat. I didn't yeah. wear it a lot though because it wasn't it didn't fit me right, but I was attempting to go for the look that Auntie Sade described. <laughs> I wanted that look, but I didn't have all of the pieces in place because I couldn't find cowboy boots that I could walk in. So I used to go to Camden Market a lot. And try on all of the boots to try and get that look together, but it never came together. So all I had was an A-line cowboy hat and a and a vest top. And the thing that I would absolutely never do is PVC trousers. You bought them from Oxford Street, and they were slightly baggy. 
and they used to be illuminous sometimes, so you would stand out in a rave. I would <laughs> never wear those shits again. You sweat. You, you, it was just stupid, stupid upon stupid. But I had a few pairs of those. I'd never do that again. And can you remember the Chinese slippers? We called them Chinese slippers. And they had mesh on top. Yes. yes. It was basically like you was walking on the road because yes. they were so close to the ground. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Never doing that again. Never. <laughs> Whilst um, scrolling on ASOS, I came across <laughs> buffaloes. And I must admit, I did put the pink ones in my <laughs> safe basket. And they stayed there for about three months. And I even said to my son, Zach, who's very fashionable and tells me when to buy things, should I buy these? They're really cute. And he actually told me no. Yes. So I didn't buy them. But well every day I dream about these pink buffaloes. And I'm like, I can pull them off now mm-hmm. with my three quarter length um, capri pants. No. Pink. Surely, no, am I too no. old? Go on, Farah, thank you. <laughs> I, I remember this look that I had. You lot remember Jay, didn't it? Like yeah. the Jay? Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I remember in college, in co- the first day of college, I remember having the bandana around my head and the long braids. And the, the, the I know, no, but I'm saying this is a look that I feel like I might still be able to pull off slightly. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the leggings and the knee high boots, the lace ups that lace all the way up. That's probably the only look that I could be like, yeah, I can get away with this from the past. Other than that, I remember not in the 90s so much, but do you remember in the 80s you'd have like patches on your jeans? Did yeah. anyone have patches? I'd like, yeah, it was a lot. Mm-mm. Yeah, whatever you look are young, whatever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just gonna there. say, um, pedal pushers, man. Oh, I had pedal pushers yes! every Jodkers! color, yeah. every Jodkers. color, man. Seriously, Jodkers. I loved them, and I had like the yeah, like capri pants, but they were tighter. They were like um, skin tight yeah. jeans, kind of thing. And I had yeah. them in pink and blue and white. Those were my colours. And I had like mesh tops as well. Like I really went for a see-through phase. Like just <laughs> And I had see-through trousers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you were a lot. <laughs> I really was, you know. Like I like to dress up. Like it was it was fun. <laughs> now that, that, that jade look worked for me because you didn't have to show your bum. And, and like in them days I was very, and you could wear baggy, baggy kind of like tops yeah. with like you know straight jeans and whatever that that really worked for me I wasn't into showing my physique in them days see because I was a skinny witch um uh-huh, I remember going rave going raving and going to knicker box which no longer exists oh, and I remember wow. buying a knicker box yeah. knicker and t-shirt outfit and wearing that with high knee knee length boots Woo. to a jungle rave so what? So they were like knicker box, it would have like a matching no, set. I, I know, but do you mean knickers? You wore knickers? Yeah. You wore knickers? Yes. That was you, not a right. I mean, Hold on. That I mean, a... who didn't? Who didn't do that? That was not... <laughs> That was not a rave that I was at with you. You were? No. A, okay, can I finish my story? It was, because remember, I was skinny. Before. You had knickers. She's Listen. done that. The, the 2017 trend before it was a trend, wearing knickers out in public. Listen, it was right. knicker box. So then because I was slim and I didn't have the booty that I have today, I had a bum, but it wasn't like patel. 
So I could get away with it. Well, I thought I got away with it. They were knicker shorts. They were like, so wide leg, not like, um, what do you call it? Batty riders. They uh, were, they were okay. over the bum, but okay. just under the bum kind of things. So they covered the bum. They had like a ribbon through the edge and the t-shirt was a matching t-shirt. But my point is it was still okay. underwear and I wore it to the rave with knee high boots. And then, and I had a, a see-through <laughs> phase. I remember there was this cool, because I worked in a hairdressers in Portobello, um, there was like all these cool little boutiques. And I remember buying a very see-through, like I think the shop was dispensary. It was a see-through, looked like a nightdress. It was see-through. And underneath I wore bra and knickers and I wore that raving. Couldn't do that now. <laughs> Wouldn't do that now. My daughter would slap me and I'd get arrested because now my bum is of a shape and you'd be like, you're too exposed. It would have been, it would have worked. And that's the end of my story. So you just reminds me, I also <laughs> went through a Laura Croft type phase as well, where I had like these little khaki shorts and like little vest tops and I just thought it was the girl, but I'd wear them with knee high boots. Yeah. I had these knee high boots that were ruffled. They were kind of wow. like slouchy knee high okay. boots, but they were still tight. That was my look for a little while. And then I had hair down to my bum as well kind of thing and Ooh. wore sunglasses. Inside the rave, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to. Who didn't? You were literally Lara Croft. <laughs> I was literally Lara Croft. And then I also had this outfit that I need that I had for my I think my twenty first birthday. The reason why I remember is because I got my nails done and I had diamantes in twenty one. <laughs> and I had jeans, jeans corset. Loved corsets back then as well. Can't do that now. But I had a jeans corset which was nice and like this jeans skirt and these knee-high boots again, but with glitter all over them. Can I just ask, are you really Jamaican? That's <laughs> 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 no, all, man, 100% yeah. Nigerian, man. Well, I'm not so. sure. But to be honest, honest, really and truly, I did grow up like on yardy culture to be honest like i was really into dancehall and bashment and i used to go to all dayers all the time so like that was my do you know what i mean like my hair was always yeah flying all that kind of stuff man so yeah i loved it man hey i'm auntie shade you're listening to your aunties could never it's almost time to wrap up before we do aunties what's made you sad mad or glad so my sad this week is really the change in weather because it's really made me sad um it was all right being indoors and in the garden during quarantine but when it's raining then i really don't want to go anywhere so it feels more claustrophobic what's made me mad is is really trevor phillips (laughs) trevor phillips (laughs) has pissed me off no end that he's got another job and what's made me glad is that the pentagon have released pictures of ufos officially that's made me glad because shit's gonna change so my sad this week is that we bought spinach yesterday and in that spinach was the greenest grossest caterpillar oh and it was like actually to be fair i'm not scared of caterpillars i prefer that it was a caterpillar than a slug but however we threw away the salad and we threw it all my mum was like you could have just picked it and just washed it by like that gone okay so that's made me sad what's made me mad is the freaking it's a sad mad it's a mad glad but primarily it's a mad that diamond and silk have been able to go on for as long as if you don't know who diamond and silk are they're, they're the two happy show mammy ish type coonish type black women who support trump and they go 
all out in regards to supporting Trump and the biggest caricatures you could ever think of. They've been fired from Fox because they've gone a bit too far with their coronavirus conspiracy theories and saying it doesn't affect us. So basically all that stuff that Trump said, Diamond and Silk have run with it, but they've gone too far. They've forgotten their place, obviously. So Fox has dropped them as pundits. So what's made me mad about that is mad that they've even got this far along, but also mad that once again, black people forget their place. They, I mean, obviously they forgot their place, but again, once again, they've got all these Fox pundits who have said worse things than them, to be fair. They're still in their jobs. However, these fools have lost their jobs. And they're fools. However, it's just this whole system thing where these people, people, one, black people forgetting their place, two, the fact that they can say shit, get sacked, and other people, white people that have said the same shit are still in place. So they just made me mad in general. They make me mad. And my glad is um, now the aliens have been proven. Okay. <laughs> And two, well, yes, um, we, my daughter and I went on a lovely long bike ride, a bike ride over the weekend, and it was fun to spend time outside of being in the flat where we tend, we tend to hide off in our rooms and stuff at times. So going on a nice bike ride and taking the sights of London, even though it broke my thighs, I'm quite glad about that. My sad is like, no, no, the weather is kind of it's a bit grey. Like I kind of was coping with quarantine very, very well with the sunshine. Do you know what I mean? I didn't mind being inside as long as the sun rays were coming through. I don't like it like this. So I don't know. I think I'm going to struggle this week. I didn't really have a mad this week. Nothing to really get my goat at all. But I'm glad last week I was sad that carnival wasn't happening. And then they put out a statement saying that it might happen. So I'm very, very glad, even if it's just a possibility, that is very, it's made me smile. So, yeah. My glad is that I was going through loads of old pictures and I found pictures that I hadn't seen for decades of me looking young, slim and trim. My sad is that I'm no longer looking young, slim and trim. And my mad is now I've got to exercise to try and look young, slim and trim. (laughs) We hear that. We hear that one. Okay, my sad. Today went really quickly. I'm not sure where time is going, but all these days are kind of moving into one and just going very quickly. I'm not happy about that. Um, My mad. Okay, yeah, this is important. Me and my sister went halves on like a crate of wine and somehow mine is finished. My half is finished. <laughs> how that happened, maybe this goes into the first one, that all the days emerging and going really quickly. But somehow I've finished my half of my wine. I'm not happy about that. I'm glad that I have introduced a series to my husband and my sister whilst we're in lockdown. Neither of them had actually seen Insecure. So I'm getting to watch it all over again. And they're really enjoying it. And I'm surprised that my husband mm. likes it. Like, he was like, are we watching the tonight? I'm like, yes, we are. <laughs> so, yeah, that's made me glad that um, we, could, we have found something to watch together and it's actually good. Right, so before we go, guys, I have an popular opinion. As a, a British Nigerian, yeah, I should really like both of these things, but I hate them, like, with a passion. They're disgusting. Well, I um, be offended. I hate custard. And I hate Supermalt with a passion. I hate them both. I just feel like everyone overhypes them, really kind of jumps on it and says, oh, you know, let me have this apple crumble with custard. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And Supermalt is just like, oh, oh, why do people drink that? It's so heavy. It's just gross. Oh, I hate them. So if you're like me, 
hit me up. Let me know. Hate these things. Break the norm. (laughs) And that's it. Do hit us up on Instagram and let us know what's made you sad, mad and glad. If you want to follow the aunties, here's how you can. You can follow me, Auntie AK, on all social media platforms at The British Blacklist. You can follow me, Auntie Nana, on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter at Love Yaya. You can follow me, Auntie Shade, at Shade Salami on all platforms. You can follow me, Auntie Sarita, on most platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, at Hey Sarita. And you can follow me, Auntie Farah, on Instagram at FarOutProductions77. Hey, I'm Auntie Sarita, and you've been listening to Your Aunties Could Never, hosted by The British Blacklist. Head over to SoundCloud, Apple and Spotify to listen back. Don't forget to follow us on Your Aunties Could Never over at Instagram. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow and comment. Bye. <laughs>